mother to my child and a child to my heart. Um, we are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we've taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is William Patrick Young, and I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, William Patrick Bunger. Hi. William Patrick Harrison. Hi. William Patrick McDonald. Big Wolf. I was the only one who tried to do Billy Corgan's voice then. Yeah. As for first time listeners, I should say, <laughs> this is what I actually I sound like. I don't voice sound that Because he puts that on. Yeah, and yeah, only yeah. a true fan would know that he actually has a much lower so, voice. Exactly I'm, I'm like so you. sick of keeping up this yeah. facade. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've got to go do this phone interview. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guess who we're talking about? Yeah. Listener of the show, friend oh, of the show. Uh, Hi. Hi, William. Glad you could join us. Harry Potter's murderer himself. Surely, even like, aside from all the Smashing Pumpkins jokes, he would hate this show. Like, does oh, he? Oh yeah, he would does hate he it. Like fun, silly things. There's that picture of him on a roller coaster. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Baby, he's ready to go. <laughs> he was referencing our podcast. Yeah, yeah totally. Isn't he like having zero fun? As yeah. well, yeah. it's like the whole thing. Very funny to say whenever someone goes on a roller coaster, they're like, oh man, nice for hundreds of thousands reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. At number 45, it's your mates, the Smashing Pumpkins. This is Ava Adore. He's definitely listening. Hey, legend. Adore at number 45 in the 1998 Hottest 100 from their album Adore. The horniest father has logged the fuck on. Speaking of horny daddies, Adam. Hey. Uh, are you the the child to my heart? Yes. Yeah. Aww. Indubitably. Mm. We That's must a... never be apart. We must never. We must never. Yeah. Nah. Uh, so we talked about one cut from Adore already being perfect, perfect that we all kind of liked quite I a bit. I loved it. Well, mm. We didn't really... And we also talked about um, a little bit about the reception that Adore has kind of had and the legacy that it's kind of had. And yeah. How some people think that it's a gem something that people go into bat for in the Smashing Pumpkins discography and other yeah, people say that it was a touch. bit of a letdown. Yeah, we've actually had some yeah, we had some correspondence. Um, so people saying that Adore is their favourite Smashing Pumpkins record. Which is a ballsy thing to say. Perfect sounds so different to this though. It mm. does indeed. This uh, was the first single, number one, yeah, and that, uh, to that, come off it. That makes heaps of sense. That makes, like not just the title, but also like it's a real statement like this album's going to sound different. Yeah, well that's exactly the thing. There was a whole kerfuffle of the lead up to Adore that I think is worth going over. A whole bunch of people were saying a whole lot of different things about how the album was going to sound. You know, some people were expecting an acoustic album, some people were expecting a techno album. There were things coming out from Billy and the band about what to expect from the album. There was stuff coming out from the label. Often these things completely contradicted each other. Side note they really should have changed the name from Smashing Pumpkins to Billy and the Band. <laughs> <laughs> Billy and the Band. 
So probably one of the more weird things that was said about what the album was supposed to sound like came from Billy himself, Shocker, who called it arcane night music. Huh. Yeah. Just let that let We're that sink in. to write our own reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very ambitious in what they were trying to set out to do with this album. There's another quote from Billy saying that with this album, he didn't want to talk to teenagers anymore. He wanted to open it to be a wider dialogue. He wanted it to be kind of about everything. Um, also worth talking about how basically the band was falling apart. I don't think there's ever been a time where the Smashing Pumpkins haven't been, but apparently yeah, yeah, now sure. it was like... Well, Jimmy was No, gone. we mean it. Yeah. yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, maybe a weekend during Gish, they were like, yeah, yeah. we're a good band. Yeah. <laughs> Having some ice cream and just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope they were nice. nice to each other for a weekend in 1996. Yeah. Yeah. No one had any grievances to air. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lovely afternoon. <laughs> and then on Monday, he's just <laughs> recording over Darcy's bass. <laughs> but yeah, you're totally right. It's just like... Mm. I've been talking to the kids, but this one, this one's for the dads. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, another another bit of flavour that I think is worth considering, especially in relation to this song, is the fact that Billy was going through a divorce at the Yeet. time. And this is where I think what this song is all about comes to the fore, because... To me, what this song represents is the time where you are in the middle of a crumbling relationship and you're feeling completely dissatisfied and the way that your mind constructs a perfect other that is so different to the one that you're with as a way of coping with the this thing that you're losing that you're in the process of kind of grieving over. And I think that's what's being represented in this song. Like, Billy's talked about it, how there was no Ava. Ava was this imagined kind of objectified person that you know this perfect person that he wrote the song longing after and that uh, we will never be apart which is just like so much about what the what the song is 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 it's more of a demand than it is anything else it's, it's not like when you like are loving someone and you like be like oh man we're never going to be apart i love you mm-hmm. so much with all those like placards kind of thing it is like it's like you aren't leaving me. Mm-hmm. It's like kind yeah. of possessive. It's not a love song. That, it's yeah. Not, yeah. yeah, no, that's it's right. Like a possession song. It's a, it's a song. It's a grieving song. Uh, you know, channeled through desire for something that's not there, mm. um, which I think is really interesting. I think it's a really to to communicate that as clearly as they have through song is pretty cool. I, it's just all about that hook, though, right? Like the the, the guitar brings a nice brightness. Um, I really over that like beat. the beat. You really like the beat. I, re- I just like that it sounds off. Like, yeah, the, right. there's something about the production to it that it's, like, it's too wet or something. Like, it just... I don't mm. know. I, I really like it. As soon yeah. as it starts, I'm like, Soggy. oh, I'm here for the... Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> a little bit, though? Sodden. Yeah. yeah. You need to ring it out. Yeah, I, I like I, that. I've mentioned numerous times on the podcast how much I love songs that serve as, like, a thesis statement for a band's sound or record or yeah. whatever. And I think this is very excellent because, obviously, Ava Adore comes off, like, the, the bombast of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Mm. Um, and this is... Obviously, just just being a single disc record is obviously going to be feel smaller, but like yes, (laughs) size matters, you guys. Fun fact: they uh, did record enough material for it to be a double album. Oh no! They were originally planning on it being another. Imagine if every Pumpkins record was a double album. (laughs) In the history of recorded music, there's maybe five double albums that are worth being double albums. Everything else could be trimmed down to a really tight single. God damn right! Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, so this is really excellent as a first statement for what Adore's going to sound like. This mix of live instrumentation as a band. And then also, like, Billy obviously be getting more and more into sampled work and looping and, yeah. like, the beat itself and everything like that. Like, we mentioned yeah. when we talked about Perfect, we had a bit of a love-in for Darcy's bass work because terrific bass player. And well, when she was recorded. She was recorded yeah. <laughs> but here it just feels more like... Like, obviously, the Pumpkins have always been the Billy show. And there's, like, mm. in this, this song really sounds like it could be a one-person song. Like, the beat is just, like, a beat. I mean, the instrumentation... Could be done by like one or two people. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah totally. Yeah. I think we've talked about this. This is the tour where they were just really had this real animosity to all their previous stuff, and they were doing like big reworks of the older stuff. It, it's interesting to hear this in live because that loop is being played live by an actual drummer, right? And there's like a, a drum machine, like a sequencer going at the same time, so it's that mix of of the two. It kind of thrives on the dynamic of being so artificial, though, like in the recording. The fact that it's so obviously a drum machine, they're trying to establish, like, nah, Smashing Palms is just the three of us now, you know? Like, Jimmy's gone. We've replaced him. 
with this. <laughs> Don't compliment the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so telling of the state of rock music in the 90s that to make a statement, all you have to do is put electric drums in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you, like, there's yeah. just riots. The rockets are rioting. They're freaking out, man. Drum machines were so in, and, like, the mix of electronic and acoustic. The um, See, I, I think Billy, like, has a lineage to 80s gothic rock music. Of course. And the Sisters of Mercy, arguably, like, one of the most, like, complimentary, the iconic, derogatorily, you'd say, cliche, gothic mm. rock bands, they never had a live drum. They only ever had a electronic drum machine. So, like, those electronic drum machine beats that he employs in this, like, to a certain degree, just has a lineage to the music that he loves, I yeah, think. Right. I haven't heard the record at all, but this, I fucking kind of ride for it. It works in the way it does. I don't love it yeah. heaps, but, like, all the elements work enough, yeah. I think. Mm. I, I, I much preferred Perfect. But yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. That's my favourite song from this th- record. I don't know if it's like the pumpkin songs that I connect to are the ones where he's really writing. A, but I, I, I was going to say writing mm. about something specific in his his history or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like like yeah. perfect to like today. You know, so 79. many songs. Yeah, yeah, so many songs that like really feel like they're about a thing. Whereas listening to this, I thought that it f- sounded very non-specific. Oh, okay. And now knowing that you know he's going through a divorce at this yeah. time, maybe that I just you know didn't interpret it the way that. He meant it, but um, I mean, perfect was also a song about a relationship you yeah. know, breaking down as well. Billy's gone on record saying that recording a door is one of the most painful experiences that he's ever had. That's I feel I like mean, every experience he has is one of the most painful experiences he's ever had. Not when they got ice cream. Yeah, well, was exactly. <laughs> a good afternoon. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about this. The verse lyrics. Uh, stepping over the cringe line a bit for me, which, you know, Pumpkins, the, yeah, yeah. Th- they know where that line is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they spend a lot of time in the vicinity of that line. Yeah. Um, but like, so they the, have the, the line steppers. <laughs> they really yeah. are. It's, it's like the band's uh, chalk outline yeah. of that yeah. line. <laughs> but the hook is great, and I think so, the second half where it's sort of all that guitar comes in and, and there is kind of the lightness to counteract the that really... Non live drum beat. Like, that's yeah. really nice. Because you said, the, the brightness that counteracts the deadness of the beat. It's chime, yeah. 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 yeah, I got the same conclusion. Yeah, yeah. but but I I just, I don't know, I think it's too much Billy. Also, probably a mistake watching it with the video for the first time because it's like, whoa, oh the, my God. The video does go whole hog. <laughs> it really does. If you does. haven't seen it, listen yeah, to that. Yeah, that was my first experience it. watching Rage. Yeah. Back as a kid. The video is very much Billy in like full kind of gothic regalia with his. Like totally hairless head in like long Victorian style like plumage in like and it's all like that video technique where you you film in half speed and sped it up so he's jittery around kind of thing and it's very like spooky and like creepy it's very much Billy leaning into his like how much out of 10 does he actually just look like Voldemort wow yeah fair Mm. fair of 10 yeah yeah Mm. yeah but like more on the nose, Voldemort. Like Voldemort would be like, yikes! Yeah, has no nose. Isn't that the whole thing? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, um, like I don't know. I get nothing. Like why? It's like dressing up as like a Voldemort cosplay now. Like like that's what Billy's doing. Like, yeah. Billy, mate, come on. Like, oh. He's ahead of the curve, though. Yeah, you know? true. Yeah. Had the first Harry Potter book been written? When did that? When was that written? No, oh, that's a great yeah, question. Yeah, wasn't it like ninety-seven or something? Was know, it? Ninety-seven. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess he was ripping off. (laughs) (laughs) He really was. Just like at the meeting for the video where he was like, I've just read this great book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And like, isn't that a kid's book? No. Uh, I was was reading it to my daughter. It's a tale of murdered parents and redemption. (laughs) It's got Harry Potter and the American Angus, the the Sorcerer's Stone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because it was that in the States. Yeah, like for all the shit I've given, I I do have to say I I genuinely do enjoy this song. Yeah, yeah. because like you've got to get that shit out of your system first and foremost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so easy to like get rid of bands that you don't like and just be like, oh fuck them, they were always fucking shit. But like when an asshole writes a good song, it is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. I think partly the reason that I have these affinity for these Matching Pumpkin songs is not because I like them. I, I didn't know especially my moments. They, even now, they're a relatively large black hole in my music knowledge. But like, I can empathise with the idea of who I am now if I had these tastes as a like a teenager. Huh. Like someone with an affinity for like gothic rock and like beats and stuff like that. Like if I was thirteen when I first heard this, I would be like, "Yeah, man, fucking hell!" I think I'm just projecting my 
current self to my past tastes. Totally. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I, like, it's yeah. not perfect. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it isn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Also, though, this is uh, the tenth Smashing Pumpkin song we've talked about. Oh. Whoa! The Boys ten are club. Down from the roof. We've got two acts in black. the ten club now. Mm, nice. That's nice. Yeah. nice. Do, we, do we talk about them again? Yes. Yeah. Uh, a couple of times. All right. Okay. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Numbers get up. One final point. Does anyone else think that this could have been a garbage song? Oh yeah. I, I can think, see that. I yeah. think he's he's playing with a lot of the same elements but with a different goal he's looking to kind of the gothic rock history whereas mm. garbage are kind of trying to look more to 60s stuff sure yeah but there's yeah. still a, a really strong interplay of of live and sampled yeah and just the, the pop hook is so strong but yeah. also the the switch up in mood totally you I know what really i mean good yeah yeah good i just, I just yeah. imagine shirley delivering this vocal line and it works. Of so course, Shirley would make it work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If anyone could, it's her. That's good what we're ending on not talking about how good Billy Corgan is. Like, like let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's find some Shirley. Is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone did agree. Garbage, we're really good. Yeah. At number 44, it's Marilyn Manson. This is The Dope Show. Thirty-four in the nineteen ninety-eight hottest one hundred. I just had a stroke, Andrew. <laughs> David, you've been a star on the Dope Show for many, many years. Well, I guess that's Marilyn's thesis. Is that yeah, I particularly like, we're have all been. Stars. Yes. Yeah, we're all stars now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was uh, the first single from Marilyn Ranson's record, Mechanical Animals, mm-hmm. um, oh. which you may recognise as the album cover where he's the androgynous alien-looking person, the little plastic mound that, that yeah. I presume a parent told you to not look at. Yeah. Was- <laughs> just, just you know, it may have scarred and scared yeah. you as a teenager. Yeah. Um, like, and Target would just like plaster the whole thing yeah. in stickers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that shit. Yeah, um, big, you had to be over eighteen to buy it a big W. Yeah. <laughs> the video for this song has him in that same latex androgyny suit. Interesting period for Marilyn Manson. Particularly when we last spoke about him, obviously we we're talking about the heavy, like kind of industrial gothic vibes, and this was a conscious effort to kind of move away from that and yeah. embrace more glam rock ideas. And you can tell with his stylings here, he obviously is, like everybody, has a massive boner for David Bowie. And he was really aping a lot <laughs> of those ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really aping a lot of those ideas in fashion and how he presented himself. Got like the red kind of diamond dog's haircut going on. Mm. And obviously he was embracing a lot of that kind of like glam rock with T-Rex and stuff going on as well. Right. And also, uh, Mechanical Animals being a concept album, very similar to um, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, right. The, the, I didn't know it was a concept album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, Antichrist Superstar was as well. Yeah. And apparently this fits into like a larger trilogy. From what I can tell, it's about the creature on the cover with, with like six fingers on one hand as yeah, well. Yeah, right. Um, it's like an- androgyny and uh, coming to Earth and then like being co-opted to join this band called the Mechanical Animals. So very then- Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, just experiencing the disillusionment of that kind of yeah. fame lifestyle. Well, that's f- super what this song is vibing on, right? Exactly, it's kind of like yeah. that whole thing of you get famous as a manufactured idea and then you're famous for a brief period, and then you're not famous, and you're like this this idea, and that's the dope show kind of thing. Exactly. It's both that you get famous, and then you're probably going to get on drugs, because drugs come with fame, but also fame being the drug. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're both going to put you in an illusory mm. state where you're not 
you you don't see things yeah. clearly and you're numbed out and you can't experience things yeah. properly. Marilyn wrote the lyrics to this and bandmate Twiggy Ramirez did all the music. Yeah. Um, and then Twiggy later said, and I didn't click on this when I was hearing the song, like re well, rehearing the song for this episode. But um, then I was looking at the reading about it and Twiggy said, um, I pretty much just ripped off Iggy Pop's nightclubbing beat. Yeah. And I went back and listened to it and I'm like, man, you really ripped off Iggy Pop's <laughs> really nightclubbing beat. Yeah. <laughs> Which was also sampled in Closer by yeah. Nine Inch Nails, yeah. Yeah. Mm, which wow. we also talked about. Yeah. And one of the people who helped work on this album and create the, the sound was none other than William Patrick Corgan. Oh, oh mate. He, yeah, was, right. he was brought in. He seemed, be, out. he seemed to be yeah. doing a lot of that in the 90s, like when people were making an album... I don't know whether they asked him to or whether he just yeah. would wander into studios and be like, yeah. hey guys, what are you Does doing? Does he sound like he, he asked first? first? Like, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Because he was on Hall's album. He was, he was doing yeah, that. He, right. was, he yeah, had a yeah, similar yeah. role Which apparently they, they didn't get along or something, which, you know, we no can all shit. understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah apparently. I want him sure. Famously pleasant person, Billy Corgan. Yeah. <laughs> apparently what he said to the, to the guys who were making Mechanical Animals is just kind of like, you've got the right idea, you just need to push it further mm. you need to make it you know bigger oh, I imagine yeah, I, could, I, could, I contribute a credit for that it's like if someone's like a really good cook or a chef and they ask you to taste something and say what it needs you're like just a bit more seasoning it could be anything <laughs> and, then, and, then you, and then you helped cook <laughs> then you co-cook delicious just push it further thanks oh man guys you hear that we're going to push it further um in his defense, like he was make he was helping make some pretty good albums at this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And, like for him to be popping up as a name every now and again, he must have been doing something. Yeah. In, in my defense, I cooked a few good meals in my time. I, t- I tasted a few good meals and insisted on more salt. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, this this is just like kind of gothic glam going on. Mm. This is obviously Marilyn at like his commercial explosion, right? Like his the abrasiveness of beautiful people style stuff is exchanged for more. Easy, not, it's not that it's super easy listening, but you can see why this guy is going to be an MTV superstar. Mm. Like, and, yeah. and not just because of his iconography, which is part of the reason that he is, but also because this music is super, super easily digestible and it's super easy for like a disaffected youth to sing along and say, we're all stars now in the dope show. Like, yeah. it works so well for what it does. And it does that classic uh, Marilyn Manson thing where, you know, like, the, the whole thing about it is it seems menacing and it seems off-putting. But mm. once, you're, once you're pushing past that, the things that it is actually menacing towards are the stuff that it deserves to be torn down. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, that, that kind the of... Same sl- cycle. Sl- and- yeah, it's just like the, you know, the, the beautiful people was just kind of tearing down, you know, magazine beauty. And fame, and this also is taking aim at fame and saying, like, you know, you don't, you don't want that. You don't want to aim for that. It's not real. Yeah, is it not just like I, I guess I just get tired of that because it's all you have the same cycle again and again. The industry will manufacture a bunch of pop stars, mm. and in the next phase is the industry giving a leg it. up to a bunch of stars that are then critical of that. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then you have another. Th- it's the same with like child stars in in TV and film. You know, you have a bunch of child stars, and then you have a phase where it's like, well, that was really damaging. Look at Macaulay Culkin, and then you have Stranger Things, and it's just like, yeah, and also, the cycle repeats again and again because the outrage is part of the market. I don't know. <laughs> and then like you know, talking about like it's so much of the same stuff that Bowie did, and people have done before Bowie as well, and mm. it's just like. This song's fine. I like. I think I made the same mistake of of watching the video. For, like when, when I came back to it, I was just like, "Oh god!" I just like it clouds your judgment, doesn't it? It does. It's just it's How so much. much. Does, does Manson look like Baltimore? Does he look more like Baltimore than Billy Corgan? Oh, uh, no, around like, the crotch yeah. region he does. Yeah. But he's, uh, he, he, he's in the androgyny suit in the video. Yeah, right. yeah. Baltimore's pretty androgyny. Yeah, I guess. Oh. Would you, would you, would you call call we stand yeah. a non-binary king. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, is, um, he, is he more industrial? Yeah, then? yeah. Voldemort's yeah, industrial. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The, um, yeah. Voldemort's uh, into nine inch nails. A great, yes, a, a great. It's um, canon. I, I'm, it's canon, I, baby. I'm quite sure that a very big Marilyn Manson fan wrote this, wrote the Wikipedia article <laughs> for this song. Because it was oh, you'd Marilyn have to, himself. Yeah. In keeping with the album's themes of narcissism and consumerism, the lyrics are an admonition against the buying into uh, an idolization of fame and hoping to perpetuate life in the public eye, including and especially mass culture and show business. Further references are made to the obvious attractions and glamour of the fame, such as obsession and drugs, and to the vacuity and absurdity of such a world. Echoing Andy Warhol's pretty 
prediction that everyone would be famous for 15 minutes. Manson <laughs> reproves society for partaking of his glittery, sinister utopia, declaring glittery, that... Glittery, sinister utopia? Declaring that we're all stars now in the dope show. Oh. <laughs> Very choice. Fuck me dead. And, like, that is what the song's about. But, you know, it, come on, man. It's MTV It's rock. so flowery. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. But it's funny that, like, this song is a takedown of the idea of manufactured fame. Like, I guess he's not, like, an industry plant or anything. But, Can like, you imagine? He but as an so- outsider, he kind of... Like, yeah. He's, he's like, co-opted outsider. Yeah, he's, he's perfect for... Like, this thing said, Adam, he's not... Because it's menace, but not, like, menace that's, like, I'm going to murder you. It's menace that's, like... This is so fucking bad. This world we live in, man. Like we're together. That kind of menace. It's a menace against an a, an aberration that isn't you. We live so so you can in be in society. Yeah. <laughs> so like he the, does look a bit like the Joker. Yeah. So, so, so we're the kids all stars now in the Joker <laughs> show. So the kids can be into it, right? And it's so so MTV catered. It's exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 yeah. It's funny for a song that's against the idea of manufactured fame is made by somebody who is. Aping glam rock and David Bowie to manufacture yeah, fame on a major like, label yeah, and a major everything. label, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's all. It, that's just the way the industry works. But yeah, like, he's tearing. I think he's tearing himself down at the same time. Though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely implicating himself in that. It's definitely semi autobiographical. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely a star in the dope show. Obviously, this is great. Like I love a lot of different stuff in that. Like the guitar tone. Even the opening, that is like a siren going off. It's like a dog whistle for goth kids. <laughs> <laughs> like, even though they hear it, it's like, boom, all right, we're in. But then that that lick is like real, just uh, queasy, uneasy, and like uh, having that like super, super washed out guitar tone for it as well, like mm. suits it. Like, and it goes up against the real sturdy bass. And yeah, so to have something just so like washed out and kind of ambiguous. So against something so grounded, like there, there's a, a good kind of duality going on in the in the in the musicality of it. There, you can say what you want about the dude, but like, man, you had to write a couple of fucking hits back in the day, and this is absolutely one of them. There's just something about this track that just works. But uh, yeah, we're all stars, baby. <laughs> And number 43, it's the debut of a hot young band from Sydney called The Whitlams. Uh, weirdly enough, they're from Sydney, but this song's called Melbourne. Wacky. She paints pictures on the wall. She eats all of the garden. An aversion to conviction And she calls her dog the bear In love with this girl And with her town as well Walking round the rainy city What a pity there's things to do at home Things to do at home She paints pictures on the wall I awake to see the feelings from the night before And she eats all of the garden It's a jungle out there And we won't return by dawn Oh yes, the smooth, smooth stylings of the Whitlam's Coming in at number 43 in the 1998 Hottest 100. That was Melbourne from the album Eternal Nightcap. I'm You're sorry, just, are we on Smooth FM? We are on Smooth <laughs> FM. Okay, I'm I whatever so. fucking Dado brother is on there now. <laughs> Let's say Cameron. David, you can be mm, David, David James Dado. David James Dado. <laughs> Dado's home. <laughs> I'm Dado. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Nathan, we're getting you to talk about the Whitlam's for something new and different. Oh, who? The who? No. The Hoomst? Mm, the Hoomst. So this is another track off Eternal Nightcap. Yes, this is one of, the, one of the non-Greek it, songs. Is that, is that four? Louis Bidet. Yep. Not no, Fidesiac. Charlie number three. And now this and is now the this. fourth song. Woo. A pretty successful album on Triple J. Oh, at the you, very you'd least. say so, man. You'd yeah. say so. So, this is a love song, which is nice. And I think for a band 
that, and obviously Tim as a songwriter, has always written about place really well. Mm. It's lovely to have a, a love song that is also about the place where the object of affection lives. 100%. I think it's so perfect that it's Melbourne. It's Melbourne. Every Sydney sider's favourite city is Melbourne. Well, <laughs> yeah, except when they're saying that Melbourne too. is shit, you know. Yeah, but you know, classic, classic yeah, rivalry. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's just it? like that's just like you know when you there's a girl you like in, in primary school, so you insult her. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> totally. But we talked about um, last season the "They Might Be Giants" song, which is the cover of the Cubs song "New York, New City, York City," yeah, which is all about just loving yes. New York City because it was where this other person was, and this is the same kind of thing, you mm. know. But this is obviously much more about the quirks and details of this girl who does yeah. all these things that you're... She's a manic pixie dream girl, man. She kind of is. She's like, she's like, yeah. A little bit. I, yeah, I know. You don't, you don't, little want, to, bit. You don't want to project the idea like of, <laughs> like of contemporary toxic masculinity studies onto this song. Because yeah. Tim yeah. is a lovely man. Yeah. yeah. And a really good songwriter. Yeah, but this, not, this is Proto Garden State. This is Proto Garden State. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying she's, she's manic pixie, but I did see Joseph Gordon-Levitt sliding yeah. into a DM, so... <laughs> I mean, like, when you're in love with someone or you're you're infatuated with someone, you can expand out the traits that they do to these to those proportions. Yeah. I think, like, all it really is is just, yeah, you're in love with someone and so, like, every single thing that they do is endearing regardless yeah. of yeah, whether... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, and maybe, the maybe what she's actually like isn't that quirky at all. Yeah. But Tim is just, like... That's the thing. It's building like, this mythology around this person because that's what love does. Yeah, it's, it, it is sincere and it's... Affection, and it's not like yeah. it's not being like oh she's so unique and quirky because she wears her pajamas to go to the shops. It's just like that would be something that he did with this person, and, and he just is thinking about being like holy crap, everything this person does is so wonderful to yeah. me, and that's what it is. But I'm, I'm glad we addressed the <laughs> like yeah. the manic pixie yeah, dream the, girl the, the, in the, the room, the, the pink haired elephant in the room, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> telling me how good the Smiths EPs are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that the intro and, and the chorus, the music is just running through the circle of fifths, so it kind of it doesn't stay in one key. You kind of can hear that as you listen to it. So the way that kind of works is Deej can probably explain this much better than me. But the circle of fifths is taking the fifth chord of of each subsequent chord. So Mm. it starts in D, then it goes to G, then C, then F, then B flat, which is very far removed from the original D, but it's a a circle that eventually finds itself again, which is nice. And I don't know, maybe maybe just knowing that is nice. It's a bit like Penny Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs of every head he's had the pleasure to know. So that's nice. The chorus is nice, you know, walking around the rainy city, but there's things mm. to do at home. Yeah. It's like it's that wonderful feeling of in like in infatuation that you like think is like a love kind of thing like that and where like with the thing the um if I had three lives I'd marry you in two of them so, so, it's so good that's a more that's, that's that is yeah. fucking writing man because yeah. like, that's the thing because like he knows that like this person lives too far away and the quirks are endearing but you know this isn't the per- like there are things to do at home shit to do have your people call my people okay I can fly down to Melbourne every yeah, weekend yeah. but eventually we're gonna like yeah. get a bit but, bored but, but that is the thing right like because yes you, that line I think is A very beautiful and funny and sweet but a, a real part of the core of the love that this person is feeling because you know that it's not a, like the thing that is the perfect sustainable thing because you're like in the two out of three times I would marry you but I do know that like this there isn't is one yeah there is one I think yeah, that's very yeah. beautiful yeah. and also the the thing that I question is if she lived in Sydney would he love her as much mm-hmm. yeah because you know it's I mean? like or is it a part of just like being liberated away from the roles that you put yourself in when you do live somewhere it's like when you go overseas and you're on holiday or whatever so you are not only on holiday from place but from who you are in that place yeah. as well yeah and so you know he goes over to Melbourne and he's so in love with the place, maybe that love of place transfers to people and or vice versa. I think it could go either way. I think I love that there's that ambiguity because I do wonder, it's like, well, if you guys actually do get together properly and you do move in together, Mm. like one of you is going to have to make some place your home. What's going to happen then? We've spoken before about bands that you... Obviously, whenever Wollongong comes up, we get all into the yeah. gong bands. Yeah. And, like, when we talk about UMI and we talk about, like, Sydney bands and stuff like that, and Tim is a particularly Sydney artist, obviously. Like, yeah, he's very course. Australian, but also he's, like, he's one of ours, but living in Sydney, he's particularly one of ours. And I think that's really interesting that, like, this song, Calling It Melbourne, it's not like a song that's about... Melbourne really like it's just about another place because like yeah. it, 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 there's not like 
references like check out Fitzroy turn us on the street and go to Luna Park it's not, yeah. kind of, yeah, it's not one of those songs but it's just yeah I've drawn a mud map on the back of the yeah, album yeah, yeah, yeah. Down there, yeah. Yeah. walking yeah. to Young and Jackson's with lipstick on yeah yeah um, <laughs> just letting the piano just running yeah, yeah. in the background like yeah it's not that at all it's just about another place it could be anywhere but like it's because uh, you're right Adam that like yeah. so Sydney siders love getting out of the city and checking out Melbourne for the weekend and then he meets this girl there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this is a very very beautiful song I think yeah. one That's of the good. great things about the Whitlam's in general is that you can imagine being Tim's next door neighbour and Louis know, knowing it, yeah, you, you can imagine yourself being Louis Vuitton and hearing him write these songs and that makes sense like for me when you're when you're a songwriter you're an artist right you, to me like you're either Marilyn Manson it's like you could never imagine living next door to Marilyn Manson <laughs> you can't whereas Tim is he's not superhuman he's superhuman he, yeah. he exists in that every day and that's where he writes from and there's that's really beautiful writing a song about a girl and calling it Melbourne like you can see that in a notebook kind of like jotted down sort of like it, it's yeah. very that style of songwriting yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly what yeah. I'm, that's exactly what I'm trying to say I think yeah. you can see the working and through seeing the working you see who Tim is I can, well, I can picture making him a cuppa like he just seems like a, like, like he's a bloke he's just a mm-hmm. regular yeah he's an ordinary guy who happens to have a really gifted insight into the way that beauty works in like love and sorrow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan and I were walking around Newtown we ran into him yeah mm. yeah did you make him a cuppa no, uh, I ran into him another time. Oh, really? And and I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this. When I saw him again, it was at the traffic lights or whatever. And I was like, Oh hey Tim, I just want to say like I'm a really big fan. Like I've like I've seen you a bunch of times or whatever. I really love your work. Like <laughs> I've seen you a bunch of times on King Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love your work, he man. Like, he was like, Oh cool, thanks, man. I, I'm just going to the cafe to read a book for a while. It's such a lovely day. And I like I was playing Pokemon Go, <laughs> and I was just like, Me too, man. I've got a book lined up. Gonna have a chill time. Yeah. <laughs> you will have to wait, Bulbasaur. <laughs> I do want to shout out as well, um, just because the uh, I'd married her in two line is so nice. There's another great line in another track on Eternal Nightcap, Up Against the Wall. It just reminds yeah. me of it. Some say love only comes once in a lifetime, or once is enough for me. She was one in a million, which means there's five more just in New South Wales. Which is just like, <laughs> Amazing. that's a good line. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I reckon he's banged all of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is a key part of Eternal Nightcap for me. Like, everyone always talks about the Windlums and Tim Friedman as one and the same, you know. And fair enough. Like, he's the only original member. It's like a sole constant through the whole thing. But uh, I like the songs where it kind of allows the band to kind of expand out a bit. Like, you know, the use of keys, like keyboard and piano. Like, that kind of organ drone through the whole thing is super nice. Like, the Wurlitzer, um, the do-do-do-do. Like, it's got that kind of, like, yeah, like I said, like, Beatles, like, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane kind of vibe to it, which is really nice. Yeah, and those those little bits of, like, corners and wither town as a wither town. Like, yeah, obviously all indebted to, like, vintage pop but that's a plus for me and it suits the song just a very sweet and very honest song and it it, yeah obviously we can go on about the whole many pixie dream girl thing (laughs) zoo deschanel's just listening she's like oh literally me you guys (laughs) but yeah as as twee and as naff as it can be like you you just love it for what it is and uh i think that extends to the whitlams as a as a body of work in general and number 42, this is Jebediah with Teflon. Wait, no, no, sorry, hang on, I have to I have to do a proper take of that. Number 42, this is Jebediah with Teflon. That's better. <laughs> Oh, we were just a 
Obadiah. Back again, number 42. This is Teflon. Kevin Bloody Mitchell. <laughs> Just when I thought it was safe, you mongrel dog. You're back <laughs> at it again. G'day, legend. How you doing? Thanks for listening. Please He's don't stop so- listening. Oh, sure. <laughs> you sent me a message on Twitter a while ago. It was just like, I knew out of the four of them it would be you to fucking roast me. <laughs> I'm just like, well, I have a brand, baby. Also, I just don't have the power. I don't, when, when there's songs like this yeah, popping up, like, he's responsible you. for it. It's like, oh, what, it's what very, am I going to do, oh, man? Come on, come man. On. It's Aussie to give him a good ribbon. Come on. <laughs> All right. So as I said, like this song is absolutely delightful. This is the musical equivalent of the boing sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a vibra slap? Surely that's the boing sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the, you know, just the sound of the a cartoon spring. <laughs> this is what that would sound like. <laughs> if you took that... And made it a song. Right. Uh, Does that make sense, yes. you fucks? Yeah, sorry. I mean, a little, yeah. The wa- that walking bass when it kicks off. This, the guitar line is kind of like, at the very beginning, it's kind of hicky. Yeah, yeah, There's something about hickey. this song that's just like really hicky. Like, Deej, you were talking about you can imagine being in the domain and getting covered in mud. This song yeah. is, it's a bit dusty. It's a bit yeah. muddy. Oh, that, yeah, it's, like, a, it's a bit of a loose unit. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a bit popping of, off nangs in the bathroom. It's a really dusty wind in a way, yeah. like that kind. Of, it, it's it you know it just blows through and gets you a bit dirty, but you know it's great. Like the, the super fun. Like everything bounces. In yeah, this the, song. The, the guitar the, bounces, the bass bounces, the drums bounce, the, the melody, the vocals bounce. <laughs> Everybody loves a slinky. It's a rainbow slinky. This song. It just keeps going. Nathan, do you get friends or wives from this? Yeah, yeah. I get friends or wives from this. Yeah. yeah. Well, perfect. Because yeah. like, we've always talked about how those two bands in particular just are so suburban Australia, yeah. right? You know, the image we keep coming back to when we talk about Jebediah is your, your concreted courtyard and the crappy couch in the back of it and you're sitting there with your mates and you're, and you're drinking, right? And that, this is totally what this is again. Like, this is actually just a song about being a give-a-fuck larrikin Australian dude in your youth collecting the doll, going to parties, <laughs> getting high, watching girls getting it on. Yeah. <laughs> Slipping that's, around. That's just it. Like, <laughs> and I wonder, like, whether there's any underlying frustration in that state or, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't sound like it. No. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it, it, if it is, maybe it's just, like, thinking, like, I really should do something with my life, but also <laughs> this is kind of good. Yeah, it's, it's just, You know like, what I mean? Like, too, it, like the, the, the character of the song is too yeah. young to be thinking... About the future. But they're kind of, there's still a knowledge that's like, to, for it to be something to be remarked upon, there has to be some awareness, you, I yeah, feel. You, 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 know, you I mean? know you're being a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are, you're either leaning into that or you're pushing against the idea that you should be something other than that by yeah. expressing it. That's what the Teflon's all about, man. Just getting, slipping along. I mean, I think I've been pushing for depth (laughs) as it stands. Look, I think there's something really nice, like Jebediah and several other bands in the countdown at this point. Like, there's still such a young band. Same with like, oh yeah, God, they were babies when this came out. Absolute babies. And then like, you have like Leaving Home coming in at number 10 in the 97 countdown. Yeah. And like, I know since then, obviously, they've sort of been lionized a bit. And, like, Jebediah are, are a thing that they probably weren't mm. as much then, but still to burst onto the scene like that, have, like, such important songs. It's nice to see a song like this from one of those bands. It's the same as Dead Cat. Like, yeah. they're just kids. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they're just yep. being stupid and writing stupid songs that you would write if you're a kid. Yeah, true. I can say that as an old man who isn't a kid. I can, like, but <laughs> but it's, it's really nice... To see a song like this do well after leaving home. That's a good point. Which, you know, is still obviously a fun song. Yeah. It's the same album, yeah. 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 yeah slightly odd way. Um, one of the one of the later tracks in that in that particular album. And I think it's got a few more moving parts than Jebediah normally does. I think that, you know, just the the construction of it. Jebediah usually revolves around a more central idea than this song. I, I feel like the, this song goes a few more different places. I was mm. a little bit surprised at how sprawling it really was. Especially, I think this is added to by what I think is like the the highlight of the track is that drop is like yeah so uh, so long like and that yeah. riff that comes in after that like that's when the pit goes crazy yeah, yeah. and and the scratching rap bit yeah <laughs> the verses don't win me over it's all like the chorus get like mm. do you hate fun well yeah. 
It's just not. Look at him. He hates yeah, it. Yeah, I guess I hate it. fun. Mm. I like all the fun in the chorus, but like. <laughs> Paying attention to the song. Please I mean, keep the fun to the <laughs> chorus only. I don't know. It's Baby, something about it's a the verses. Deal. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Look, there's going to be some fun splashing all over the place, mate. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying the chorus. I'm not saying so the verses suggestive. are too fun. If yeah. that, that, I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> I don't know. There's something Dear about the verses doesn't quite madam, get that. For your me. song is too fun. <laughs> <laughs> Please moderate the fun so we can enjoy it accordingly. I Yours am not in a good faith, and Harrison. <laughs> it's obviously going to get J play. Makes to. tons of sense. To, yeah. um, people are going to love it. Musically, there's a, like you're right, Emma, but a lot of different moving parts going on that's like juxtaposed by the lyrics, which are just like, not like throwaway, but they're pretty throwaway. Like they're just fun. They're like, just, yeah. Yeah, just kicking just, it. Just, fuck it, man. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, like, I'm here for it. I love this song. I've loved this song for a long yeah, time. It's really great. Just a, it's a blast. The chorus is just get you there so hard. Yeah, mate. It's just a hoot. It's festival ready. It's just pure Super late te- festival yeah. ready. Yeah, like yeah. late teens, early twenties, just uh, energy. I didn't see them on their most recent tour, but it would be weird to play this song as adults for adults. <laughs> I saw them play it. That's in like too much these songs, man. Yeah, we talked about that with the Offspring. The most recent time I saw them play it was 2015. And uh, that was actually pretty fun. Like, uh, like it was towards the end of the set, and they were just like, there was just a bit loose. It was like a late night in Wollongong. Everyone's been on the piss all day, mm-hmm. you know. Like all the dads have come out to play at the yeah. end, and like Lindsay, like me and Lindsay were there, and and Lindsay like goes up to the like because there was no barrier, obviously. So like Lindsay goes up to the front, and Ness is like showing him how to play the bass line. So she's like playing the th- the strings with her fingers while he's like uh, fingering the the, the fretboard. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, Bonus, for bonus uh, homework, uh, for bonus reading, Kevin Mitchell uh, just put up a uh, podcast, uh, a new episode mm. of Good Evans, It's a Bobcast, uh, with a hopeful future friend of the show, <laughs> uh, my my very tall uncle, Paul Dempsey. They chat about all kinds of 90s shit and stuff that is very, very pertinent to this podcast. And it is a very wholesome and very lovely listen. So check it out. Fun. Are you happy, Kev? You bo- at number 41, this is Placebo with Pyongyang. <laughs> Which makes us blessed and makes for stormy weather one in the 1998 Hottest 100 with the song called Pure Morning. You can find that on their album Without You, I'm Nothing. Obviously dedicated to me and the listeners of this podcast. Let me take you back to 1998, the year this song came out. Uh, let me take you back to one specific pure morning when I was a young, impressionable seven, potentially eight-year-old. I can't remember uh, quite if I'd, if I'd hit the hit the big uh, zero eight by that point. But uh, I'm watching the Rage Top 50. Like, that is about to start, as per um, Aria Top 50 singles. And uh, making their debut at number 50, uh, had somehow snuck its way into the charts, was Pure Morning. 
and I see that video for the first time and I am introduced to a whole new world of androgyny. I have never seen a man that looks like Brian Molko before. I see him and he is standing on the top of a building and he is about to jump off and I'm like, holy shit, there's a lot to process here. I am eight and what is this? I have a lot of questions. How much does he look like Voldemort? <laughs> not ma- not much. Yeah, you right. know, you know. Who he, so he's he, like th- three, three he, or three. He's, I reckon. He's I, reckon I reckon he looks a bit more like Draco Malfoy. If I'm being honest. No, good call. Yeah. 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 yeah good call. Oh, oh, Draco Malfoy and Professor Snape. I reckon that's he's, that's that's the he's, combo. He's throwing Snape. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's throwing. Yeah. He's yeah. Snape as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he's like sexy Snape. Sexy oh. Snape. He's, he's going as sexy. He's Snape hot Snape. Like, yeah. yeah. Nathan just held up a screenshot from the video and. Oh, even looking at it now gets me hot and bothered. Yeah, yeah, you've got all red, you're blushing. You got the vapors? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I'm, I'm going to need to lie down after this. It needs a palm frond. Oh, my lord. shower. That boy just boils my potato. Yeah. He always has. <laughs> like, it's weird to think about a sexual awakening at eight, but, like, there's with, something with there. Potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I recognize, like, you know, probably about eight years later, you know, when placebo were back and doing meds, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not straight. Like, there's, <laughs> there's something here that's fucking with me. And I reckon Molko's got at least something to do with that. <laughs> Because you're just chuffed. Like, yeah, yeah. chuffed to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> well chuffed, I reckon. Well chuffed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That's really nice yeah. of you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Sorry, I have to. Yeah. He's he's like Billy Corgan as well. Like yeah, you know, he's got he's got his normal on. accent. Sorry, I've got to go and perform. How are you doing? Since we're in this vicinity, it's very easy to forget the placebo are a British band. Oh, they are very yeah. British. They're very British. Well, one of the most nasally American accents in the history of recorded music. Is from not an American. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite of Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Math checks out. Also, yeah. Dick Van Dyke is a great uh, analogy for Brian Molko in general. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, God. I grew up, like, loving this song. Like, this and uh, Every Me, Every You came out, like, a year later on the, on the Cruel Intention soundtrack, which also. That did some shit to me, that that whole, that movie. Oof. I was at a friend of the show, Adam Bunch's house last night, and we were discussing placebo, and Adam was definitely in party mode, and he was very excited about placebo. I don't remember this conversation. <laughs> I don't remember any Proves of this. my point. Party mode is too high. Generalization may not standing on the roof like in the video <laughs> like dude come down he's like you know what you're right we've got to go talk about placebo man we've got to do it for the people but no we were it talking sounds like me <laughs> it was super it was, like we were just uh, talking about like the fascinating aspects of this song like Brian Molko as a guitarist like obviously the focus is always on like his super distinctive vocals like you can pick it out of a line like instantly that's Brian Molko right Mm. but another really cool thing that Molko used to do was just layer the fuck out of guitars right there's so much going on in these songs like by the time the chorus is coming out like there's like seven guitars on either side of the mix and it's just this huge huge sound like the guitar tone in this song is fucking incredible and it suits the song so perfectly and just the rhythm section is just holding it down so beautifully and it's got kind of that big beat sound to it where the the snare and the hi-hat both sound massive this is like a perfectly crafted song and like one of the best examples of what Placebo were able to do uh, as a singles band. It's no surprise that this is one of the songs that crossed over. Placebo only have a minimal set of like crossover of like alternative hits and mainstream hits. It's basically this and every every you, every me or every me, every you, whichever, whatever your poison is. It's just a very minuscule crossover of stuff that like people would know. This and every me, every you both charted and was like both played pretty extensively, not just on the radio, like, uh, on Triple J, but on, like, commercial radio as well. So you've got that little bleed of crossover, which is just enough to have had that legacy. Quick show of hands. Who was into Placebo in high school here? Yeah, big yeah, time. Not big, usually, big, but here big, and there. Big okay, and my hand is also raised. Um, for yeah. The, for the record, I mean, that was a dumb thing. To, <laughs> oh, yeah. No one can see raising of hands, but okay. But Nathan, you, you weren't? No. Ne- you just missed out on... Do you like Placebo? 
Uh, I, I guess no. I don't dislike them. Right. I like this song. But you're not and, a fan. And like, like you know, you I know a yeah. couple of other songs. You haven't seen them. You, no, yeah, you couldn't name no. many of their songs. I, yeah, I definitely dismissed them in high school. In high school, sure. yeah, sure. Um, because you were so deep in punk. Yeah, yeah, and so I think it was just like this seems like just weird emo, and I'm not into right. Emo. Which which leads me to a really interesting thing that I was considering when I was looking at this, which I didn't look at when I was a fan in high school, because of course you know music is so new and you're discovering everything, so context doesn't play a part until you fit a few more pieces into that completed puzzle. It's really interesting to look at placebo in context coming off the back of Britpop in yeah. particular and also just where they fit in relation to the emo yet to come. Mm. They're kind of proto-emo it, to some extent. At least, you know, this was already kicking off in the in the Midwest America, but I'm not sure how much of that had crossed over just yet. But, but also, you know, like, they're so different to Britpop. And I, from Marco himself, deliberately, they were pretty anti-Britpop, and that was part of what they were trying to do. Uh, they said they were reacting very strongly against the machismo, terrorist chants, and revisionism of Britpop, and the nationalism right. that we interpreted as xenophobia of the musical kind. We were trying to make a strong political statement about the fluidity of sexuality with the dresses and makeup that we wore. We set out to confuse. I think that's 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 a quote directly from Marco. And, like, and I think it's like, super interesting. Pretty but, good. But just be better. Do that. Like, <laughs> if, like yeah. I know Brian Marco is queer. Like, but like, do this shit, man. Like, look at fucking placebo. Like, you can still have a mainstream success and do some sort of like fucking confronting gender queering of your fucking normativity. Yeah. And like, mm. I like placebo in high school tangentially because of my parents, like, like, there's a familial love there. And like, this is obviously way before I was in high school. But like, this song fucking rules. It like, rules. the beat is so huge. Oh my God, the dude. guitar layer, like you said, David, like, Shades of like noise rock and shoegaze with yeah. the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like uh-huh. a bit Sonic Youthy. Yeah, yeah, Sonic Youthy. Yeah, like 100%. the beat is so gigantic. Obviously, Brian's voice is spectacularly one of a kind and like adored and recognizable for the perfect reason. Like, he just sounds like nobody else. Yeah. And like, sounds like you can tell it's like someone who like presents as male. Like, you can tell that in his voice, but there's a femininity to his voice as well. It's and obviously, the way. queer punk. Yeah. In a way. And obviously, the way like. Again, this, I feel like in this episode we've spoken a lot about like the image of people in terms of marketability. But he he's a strikingly beautiful human being, mm. and like he looks so androgynous, so queer looking, and just like you know that'd be the exact kind of person that like would be like, oh, is that a fucking woman singing a song that people would have? Oh that? man, obviously, like when Silver Sun Pickups came out, yeah, yeah, that's what. Brian wants mm. like what yeah. placebo are trying to do here and this song like that and just like and just like these ideas of like in, in like, what is a mainstream pop hit to have lyrics like like a friend who's dressed in leather like not that that's like super confronting but like just it, it, even having BDSM and like latex kind of fetishism in the lyrics like that at all is a fascinating kind of thing well their first single as a band was uh, Nancy Boy and you go look yeah. at the lyrics oh, of that man. it's way more explicit fucking BDE yeah. putting that out as your first single holy yeah. shit <laughs> they, were, they were making a statement with that yeah um, totally. for, for context on that listen to the track uh, Nancy Boy or check out the lyrics to it at the very least and you can get some idea there but you're so right like it's impossible how much you get a sense of someone wearing a black turtleneck and black leather jeans and reading like Sartre in the original French in a cafe <laughs> and chain smoking. It's that bratty, Euro trashy, intellectual, existential kinky, stuff, yeah. existential, nihilistic. It's all there in his voice. It's crazy how mm. much you get that. And it works so very, very well um, for that. Yeah, this song is amazing. Yeah. Although they hate it. They, yeah, ha- they right. hate this song. They, they didn't play it live for nine years. The lyrics yeah, were yeah. made up on the spot. Yeah, it was, it was, was going to be a B-side originally. Yeah. Like they just yeah. did the, it wasn't even going to be on the album. And then they, huh. it was going to be a B-side to the previous album. Yeah. And, I, and then like, oh, we've got something here. We'll work on it a bit longer. And then it ended up being the first track on the on the record. Like Brian's Brian's like spoken at length about how much he hates it. The band Brian's uh, problems. They they <laughs> refer to it as pure boring. Oh, boo. Yeah. we all hate our hits. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. Wow. Listening to this song in preparation for this, I got a whole new like depth into what the song was about. Mainly based on something again that uh, Marco talked about. He says that the song is designed to be, you know, the sun coming up and you're coming down, and everyone else is getting ready to go to work, and you're feeling incredibly dislocated from the rest of the world, and all you really want is for there to be a friend to put their arms around you and just ease you in a sleep. And it's just like, dude, that is exactly what this fucking song <laughs> yeah. is, and also. <laughs> 
I relate. Yeah, today, I know that feeling pretty today, well, yeah. uh, in a fairly big way, so good. And you can hear that musically as well. Like, it's got that kind of wind-up music box guitar that's mm. kind of... But there's menace underneath it, and it's just... Again, it's, it's playing with the tension of things not being okay, but also there's a comfort there. Like, there's a satisfaction in the music, but there's also a discomfort. Mm. It's, it's, it's got this really great tension. Like, and then the fact that it's a nursery rhyme style sing-along vocal melody and lyric is you know it communicates that that kind of innocence that wanting to just you know because you feel so vulnerable you become like a childlike and that in that lifestyle as well of mm. you know chasing pleasure yeah it's it's it's, it's fairly like yeah well, there's, like there's, there's an innocence to that in a, in a weird yeah, way as well like, i i, I you get a big kind of like drug use vibe from a lot of placebo yeah. stuff, and I know oh, yeah, Brian struggled with addiction and stuff. Special K, am I right? Yeah, but like you feel that in this song as well, right? Like just that, like yeah. not, not just because a friend with weed is better, but just like you feel like it <laughs> Which sounds is true. like yeah. <laughs> you, you feel like this is a sad guy singing, like yeah, like a drug sad guy. But yeah. it's like, but it's kind of sad. It's like, yeah, I'm sad. What are you going to do? Yeah. So as someone coming from the non yeah yeah placebo background, I liked Nathan. It. Nice. Yeah. No, I cool. think it was great. You know, if I'm going to listen to a placebo album, probably only one because I'm a busy man, uh, is it this one? Nathan, I will make you a placebo playlist. Okay, great. But also, great. I write, I think my favorite album is their first one. I sure. Think that's the Self-titled? Most, that's, yeah. Placebo yeah, right. self-titled is probably the most consistent. Because I figured I'd listen to an album or your playlist, and then I can report back... Uh, on the remix episode. Oh, I'll do yeah, it by then. Good call. Hey, they, they had one hell of a greatest hits CD. I spun it a lot. It was like one of my most played CDs as, the like, greatest a, hits. as like a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in high school, I listened to that greatest hits a lot. Mm. And it's, it was, it was very, very good. Um, they're a great greatest hits band. I think like there's always a few tracks on each album that are a bit crappy. Mm. Um, Increasingly, as they go along, the ratio gets larger. But entropy. When they're good, they're good. Yeah, man. Yeah. Nice. The heat death of placebo. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks, FBI Radio, for having us. FBIRadio.com, you know what to do. Before we get out of here, we're going to pick our favourites our least favourites, and continue the ever-continuing story of carryover champs and chumps. So, Andrew. David. What have you got, man? Uh, my fave this ep, I'm going to give it to Pure Morning Placebo, but Pure. Uh, my champ remains to the evolution by, yeah, good call. by the Pearl Jams. Uh, and my least fave, there's not really a stinker here. I'm going to have to give it to Ava Adore just out of fifth fave. Yeah, It, it sure, was good, yeah. it worked, but it wasn't as... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the least Bill. faves getting harder, aren't they? Mm. But my chump, of course, remains drinking in LA. Favorites, pure morning. Uh, Malibu is going to remain my uh, champ, uh, and I guess fifth favorite uh, is Teflon. But uh, yeah, Whoa. N- yeah. But obviously, oh, yeah. No, no, yeah I hate Kevin, but I don't hate him that. <laughs> I don't hate him more than drinking in LA. <laughs> Uh, my favourite is definitely Pure Morning because all I want to do is be cuddled. <laughs> yeah, to party too much. My least favourite is The Dope Show because I'm not interested in that today. Champ Chump? <laughs> um, I'm, look, it, Pure Morning is very, very close. I but thought I'm it might be. going to retain Do the Evolution. Because it's, um, it's a really good song. And a very bad song is Brand Van 3000's <laughs> Drinking in LA. Don't check it out. AKA <laughs> My Chump. <laughs> Don't, don't check it out. Don't, don't listen to it. Stay uh, away. I'm going to give Melbourne uh, my fave from this app. Um, oh, and nice. the dope show, dope show is my least fave, but my champ and chomp will remain the same. Remain, do the evolution and drinking in LA. No, no, the Unforgiven 2. I changed my <laughs> chomp. I forgot already. Mm. But, you know. No. <laughs> I, can, I can see why you, know you what said what you bad. said. <laughs> don't check Not it out. Not great, guys. All right, are we ready for the top 40, baby? It's going to get real hot. Mm. I'm so excited. Oh, you, you, you have no idea. Yeah, We're about some to... idea. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. Hey, uh, also, if anyone feels like ranking the four of us in terms of which one of us looks most and least like Voldemort, uh, feel free. Yeah, hit us yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, if you, yeah absolutely. If you, yeah. So if, if, if you want to bully us, please do so. <laughs> On behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. And bye. Mr. Adam Butcher. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Andrew McDonald. Good night. 
My name. Good night, indeed. <laughs> my name is William Patrick James Young Jr. Voldemort. The fourth. The boy who lived. <laughs> Everything is good for you. Except that. Slytherin. Of all the